This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. And we are live. Hey, 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 Facebook and uh, the podcast people. Uh, I am Jackie, uh, and my nickname is Tush, and I do this podcast, Tushalicious Talks. I'm also the co-president at the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County. And today we are going to discuss um, historical efforts to keep blacks from voting Um, from having their own Wall Street and then just in general from black people being successful um, about the aftermaths of the effects that took place historically and how they're still affecting the black community today. Um, And we will relate that to um, politics, of course, um, business ownership, and then Valentine's Day and black love. And my guest today, the one and only Mr. Man, uh, Jimmy Lawson here, and then Latoya Robinson. And I'm going to let Jimmy Lawson go ahead and introduce his wonderful self first. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you having Jackie. Uh, Yeah, again, I'm Jimmy Lawson from Oklahoma City. I've done a lot of stuff here in the community. And some people may know me from my association with Julius Jones. And then, of course, we're running for Oklahoma City mayor last year. So it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of your amazing show today. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what's up. Uh, my name is Latoya Robinson, and I own a business called Joe May Custom Creations. Um, I create every, uh, oh, excuse me. I create anything from lighters to weddings and decor and everything in between. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and you can also find us at JoeMaysCC.store. That's right. Go check her out, y'all. Um, so what I'm going to start with is um, historically, there used to be a literacy test that black people had to take before they could register to vote. And to see the literacy test, I did post it on the Legal Women Voters page. That's www.lwvokc.org. Um, and one specific example that I have right now, it says spell backwards forwards. And so um, on answering that, if you write the word backwards out, then that is wrong because you should have written backwards with the same comma that was included after it. Spell backwards, comma, forward. So if you did include that comma, then you automatically failed the whole test and you could not vote. Wow. So then if you wrote backwards, with a comma on it, then you should have written, then the answer, then they would have came back and said, well, you should have written backwards, comma, forwards. So then you still also fail the test and you can't vote. And then if you write out backwards, comma, forwards, then they say, oh, no, that's still wrong because you should have only written the word backwards. So these tests were specifically designed for black people to fail. There's a whole article on it. Um, And then there was also a portion where we had to actually memorize a part of the Constitution. And um, the volunteers at the voting precincts, you had to tell them um, two things. You either had to write them out or you had to verbally, um, you know, decipher or, or orally communicate that you memorized this part of the Constitution. And supposedly blacks and whites had to do it. But of course, 
whites, they automatically, it didn't matter if they passed or, or they failed, if they memorized, if they didn't, they automatically were able to register to vote. So there were in history a lot of efforts to keep black people from voting. And I don't think that we realize just how tremendous those efforts were. Um, so please, www.lwvokc.org, um, go look at the article and then just Google it if you want to. What were all the efforts? You know, another effort was uh, we had to pay to vote. Um, it, I think it was like $3 or something like that. But even so, voting is supposed to be free. And in today's economy, that $3, I mean, even if it was still $3, would you pay $3 it's to crazy. vote? You know, it's crazy. very crazy. Um so um, that being said, we know that Mr. Lawson ran for uh, mayor. Uh, what is your opinion about the black vote, um, how these efforts affected the black voter turnout today and why we kind of predominantly don't vote? I think that's a great uh, question because I think a lot of the stuff that we experienced in our historical pattern when it was so tough to get the access to vote kind of trickled down over generations that our vote doesn't matter, right? Our singularity doesn't matter. But it's contrary to that, though, right? We've got power. Uh, we we look at across the board of how municipalities are put together at a local level and a state level, and we understand that there's only a percentage of eligible voters that show up anyway, mm -hmm. right? So it's even more compounded when the fact that our community feels like that our voices doesn't matter. That shrinks that already small percentage down to a much smaller percentage, right? So now you're looking at a at a less than, you know, 6 or 7% turnout, uh, which at a local level will matter, right? Because the total turnout is not that large anyway. Right. So we get people from five to 10,000 African-Americans that buy into the fact that I don't have to show up. It doesn't matter. Why am I doing this? And that's what the system wants, right? They want to project this idea that our voices doesn't matter. But we do. We look at the, some of the bigger cities, Dallas, Florida, L.A., New York City. Uh, we look at the race that just happened for the mayor of L.A., mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That was the largest turnout ever in the history of L.A., the largest monetary contributions raised for the city of L.A., which was $225 million, right? Who does that for a local mayor campaign? That's, that's insane. But here we go. They figured out a way to understand how important, because the candidate who won is the first African-American female in the city of L.A., right? So she made history. Uh, she's a phenomenal person. I've met her once personally, and uh, she's a super cool person. And it's super cool to watch her live, you know, do something that's never been done before. But she talks a little bit about what we're talking about today of how important our community it is to be knowledgeable about the fact that that box matters, yeah. right? I mean, people got killed over this stuff, right? Trampled over this stuff. Literally. Literally, because they understand that our voice has power. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm Even going back to three-fifths compromise and just all over history, um, they really did not want us to vote, and that is for a reason. So, and, and I get why some people don't vote, especially also when you look at historically just and I'm speaking just specifically for Oklahoma, um, the way that Oklahoma was structured even before it was a state um, back when there was a socialist party in Oklahoma. And then, of course, um, there was the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, but it was 
basically the Democratic Party that was, quote unquote, racist and the Republican one that was so much for um, uh, kind of close to the Socialist Party and in, in, in for everyone having equal rights and so forth. But the way that it was set up, the way that Oklahoma was set up is that um, people had land and, you know, boomer Sooners. I'm not sure why we are so proud of having the name Sooners, because if you look historically at that, it's not uh, it's it's not good. It's not a good name to have. But um, so they came in they basically stole all the land because they got there sooner. And, you know, it, regardless if that land had um, belonged to poor whites or blacks or Hispanics that were already here or the indigenous community that definitely was here. Um, then now all of a sudden they come up with this thing called taxes and they come up with uh, strategies to say, okay, well, now you have to pay me this amount of money, so forth and so on. So all of that is related to um, voting today because there were there was an effort for all of the, the poor whites, the blacks, the Hispanics and the indigenous community to come together to try to fight and say, hey, no, you're not about to take our money. You're not about to take our land. And I can go way deeper in that, but I'm not going to. But basically, the, it, the system was rigged. And yes, we are about to take your land. And boom, here we are in 2023. And they definitely did that. So, you know, it's the way that it was set up. And so when you have, like you said, um, generations before us, and they actually went through that, then that mentality kind of transfers on to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. And now we have so many people saying, well, my vote doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. But we still have to figure out a way to combat that because there are ways to get the people's voice across. The people that are in the legislature, they're supposed to um, care about what we're going through on a daily basis. That's what the government is there for. So, um, keep going. I'm telling you, I can keep going and going. So, but, um, I will say like when Trump was in office, um, and there was a heavy media attention around, especially during COVID, um, you know, like the Sandra Blands and the Trayvon Martins and so forth, RIP to all of them. Um, and we saw black cruelties by police officers everywhere. And so, and then you also had Trump and he pardoned um, Kodak Black and then Lil Wayne and so forth and so on. And so like as black people, I feel like we were like, man, he did more than Obama because Obama didn't even let, you know what I'm saying? we were, There was this a big push, especially like out there in Oakland, like let the Panthers out and Obama didn't do it. So we was like, ah, oh, he weak, you know what I'm saying? So, but then Trump came and then he released um, Kodak and then he released Lil Wayne. And then we had all this media attention on um, the the black cruelties and whatnot. And so we were feeling like then we got all that COVID money. I feel like black people were feeling like, you know, we've got a little bit of hope, um, maybe like a sense of potential uh, that there would be an increase in political change or maybe that um, somehow either party, Republican or Democrats, would now find an effort or a way to acclimate um, racial disparities or dis, um, systemic discrimination. Um, but then now we've, how we are today, like we're still seeing, and we're, a lot of people are just kind of burnt out on seeing, oh my gosh, more black people are still dying. There's still police brutality, you know? And then now you even see instances of white cops doing, uh, having police brutality against white people. And now you've got the black cops against, and it's, it's still, unfortunately, this, um, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Tension between police and citizens. Um, and then you've got, uh, what's the word? Homelessness and affordability issues. Like we thought we got that COVID money. So many of us was going to ball and we was going to start our own businesses and so forth. And then Trump had, um, there was a thing where he was talking about uh, giving grants to HBCUs, which you got your HBCU code on today. And then uh, in black businesses, we thought we was going to get all them grants and stuff. And then now we're like, okay, homelessness is an issue, not just in Oklahoma, like all around the country, everywhere. I want to say that the twerking senator, uh, what is her name, Tasha Mack, I want to say she had a bill um, that was uh, related to homelessness. And then I want to say in Massachusetts, there was a bill to cap um, uh, rent control or the amount that landlords could increase, uh, increase rent to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, out there in Oakland, shout out to Jabari Shaw, power to the people out there. Um, they have an issue where there's like 10,000 uh, uh, available units, uh, houses available, but then there's like 9,700 homeless people. So there's more mm-hmm. houses available than there are homeless people, but there's homeless people everywhere. So... You know, it's like we're all either facing homelessness or we're facing an affordability issue where everyone feels like they can't afford how a, a reasonable house or, you know, at all. So um, anyways, my point is we wanted we thought that we were going to have all these black businesses and, and move forward in prosperity. And then that kind of is not happening. But how in the black community without um, saying that it is the government's responsibility, what can we do for ourselves to try to help combat these issues? I think that um, us coming coming together mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. Um, supporting each other more, um, I do have my own business. I have my own business and I uh, work in my business to help the community. I do like pop-up shops to help us come up, come together that um, involves all melanated businesses. It doesn't matter if you just started, if you're trying to get yourself out there, if you're well known, like I'm, I'm trying to help build those communities. And I feel like if we came together more like that in, in our own community, then we'll, we'll be able to build more. Yeah. Unity. Definitely unity. So what's in the box over there? Dominoes. <laughs> Let me see them. It's dominoes. <laughs> They're after my business, Joe May. So they have my, my little images um, on them. Oh, these are nice. They're there. glittery. These are cute little dominoes. Oh, they're super cool. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank nice. you. Nice. I love them. Much yeah. gratitude for that. Thank you. They come with a box or a bag. I think understanding economy and, yes, like you said, unity, supporting one another, because um, the economy is basically people spending money with other people so that they can spend more money with other people and to keep that pushing. So. Yeah, one of the things I've experienced, you know, as a, as a college professor, and I teach finance and accounting, one of the things that we've really kind of drilled down uh, as my community is that there's there was a gap between information and the delivery of it, right? So the other competitors, uh, what I mean by that is other ethnicities have done a different modality when it comes to 
putting people together, give them the user information and then be able to produce, right? So in my community, here's an example, financial literacy and how to manage money uh, or grow a business, there's a lack of that. So my idea was, you know, as, as a potential mayor was to build programs in the youth first. That's the next generation. That's the next wave, right? We're, we're getting older. My parents is dying off. So the way that we can put a, a, a huge knife into and slice this thing, in my opinion, is the kids. It's the youth, right? So we start with them, uh, which I've started programs like that already. And it's amazing to me, their, A, their ability to pick up this information that, that some of us may think is complex, mm-hmm. but it's simple for them. And then their ability to see outside of the four walls, right? Our generation sometimes and our parents' generation have been what I call programmed, Yeah. right? We're programmed. This new generation, my kids' generation, uh, is not programmed. They're wide open. Their ability is way different than ours. Access to information is different. And I think that's how we change the modality of inspiring the next generation that, yes, this check matters, and that when we do it all together, we're going to have power. So it is what we don't know, what we don't know, right? So it is no knock on anybody. Uh, that was something I learned in my run that, you know, I was like, man, why, why is my people not getting it, right? It's, what is going on? But but I figured out that we don't know what we don't know. So when we don't have access to the information or access to the knowledge, we just don't know it. So I think to, to change that modality in the next 20 to 30 years is, building these programs. Some of those programs I had on my platform as mayor, right, that's going to change the city from a youth standpoint, all the way across the board, right? It doesn't matter your nationality. City as a whole, right? Yeah. The more educated, more prepared the next wave of consumers are, the more profitable the city can be, that's right? So that was my idea about how can we inspire people that look like you and I, that it matters, A, and then teach them the concepts about why it matters. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And especially on the part where he said not just black people, because, you know, women, the LGBT communities, like every race, it, um, not every race, but just all types of people I, I hear in doing different advocacy work. So many people say, man, the system just needs to be totally rebuilt, you know, but unfortunately, I don't feel like that's ever going to happen because, I mean, reality is. It, we're literally the foundation of the United States of America is that system. So if you get rid of that system, you get rid of the United States of America. And I just don't see that realistically happening. So um, that being said, Black Wall Street, <laughs> Black Wall Street, how um, do we get uh, and and while I'm thinking about that, I had read, and I don't know if you guys have heard this or not. You heard that there is an effort to rebuild Langston, not the college, but the actual city into hmm. a new Black Wall Street. Hmm. I haven't heard that. I read it somewhere, but I can't find the article anymore. But I swear I read it like <laughs> in the last two weeks hand. or so. <laughs> yeah, I swear I read this in the last two weeks that there is an effort. So. But so let's say that there was an effort. What how what businesses, how do how do we get black people to realize that or to lessen the gap between business ownership, ownership and government? Like to make people realize that their representatives are actually supposed to be representing them and how we are supposed to con- reach out to them. Like how how do we get that? Because I think that the key to figuring out what that is, and I haven't figured it out. That's why I'm asking. I think that is a major key in um, increasing voter turnout. 
I think in my perspective, it's putting people that look like you and I to run and get those positions of power, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no greater, there's no greater feeling to be able to bounce ideas off of somebody that's from your community, that experienced what you have experienced, and they can connect with you, right? More times than not, at the table, the table doesn't look like the voters, right? So what happens is when we give information or an idea across, A, they can't receive, and if they do receive it, they don't know how to manage that and process that, only because different communities, different experiences, and it's just a different dynamic. Uh, that's been my experience when I have been able to talk to voters that look like me or come from the same dynamics as me, right? Not just the way we look, but economically, right? Income, community-wise, right? Resource-wise. So you may have a community that all looks different, but the dynamics may be the same because of where it is located, right? Yeah. So when you got somebody who's from that pod, it, it's totally different, right? It's like, oh, you understand what the struggle is, you get my struggle, right? You understand the lack of resources or you understand whatever that may be. And that makes a difference because what I would do as elected official, that if if I'm working for you and we are from the same economic area, I'm going to be more motivated to get something done because I know what you're dealing with. It's palpable for me, right? I'm from the same area as you are. So what happens on the grand scheme of the state of Oklahoma, we've got a whole bunch of people elected that are from communities that really aren't palpable, what I mean, fillable, right? They're not able to able to navigate and say, I understand you're trying to start a business, ma'am, and I understand what it takes, resource-wise, networking-wise, credit-wise, banking, whatever that host of bank may look at, right? They may say, okay, I understand, but if you got a guy who's already wealthy, that got a inheritance, he may say to you, well, uh, I, I really don't understand <laughs> Right. Why can't you two be successful like me? Right. So you get that wall and I've watched it. I've been in the meetings. I watched it. I thought that's the disconnect. The disconnect is getting you and I to be inspired, even if we lose, to get in and run. Right. And expose yourself because the more they see that, they say, oh, OK. So I hear them talking about it. But now they're showing up and doing something about it. Yes, that is why black voters matter. Absolutely. Yes. Got to figure out how to lessen the proximity between the average, normal, everyday person and the richer people that um, kind of run the state. So, yeah. Um, So. I'm going to uh, exit that topic because I can keep going, I promise. Um, but Valentine's Day is coming up. And so um, I kind of want to talk about black love and families and how that can have a positive impact um, on Oklahoma as well. Um, and Jimmy, how long have you been married? Ooh, it's been a long time. So we've been together. <laughs> we've been together for 25, married for 20 um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank Congratulations. you, man. High school sweethearts. We made it through all the ups and downs. Our oldest daughter's 23, uh, the middle 17, baby girl's 15. So uh, as my parents have said, we've been around the block a time or two. And uh, you know what? And it's really, it's really to me uh, an amazing thing when you have what I call a responsibility from both parties. And I'm going to tell you what this means. So in our community, when we see both a male and a female, right, working on one accord, it matters, right? So you got a responsible party on both sides of the fence. 
if you have daughters or sons, they'll kind of pick and choose who they want to talk to at a certain time about a certain problem, right? But let me give it a bit of perspective. So we have a huge chunk of kids in this city that I've already talked to, I've already spoken, mentored to, that have had a void. So whether the mom is in the house or the dad is not in the house, either or, uh, in my perspective, I'm a huge faith-based person, so I believe that God has designed this system, right, to have a male and a female, right? Not not just not saying being married, but a male and a female being tied to that kid's life uh, because it matters, right? Because I can't talk to my mom about everything, but I want to talk to pops. Then I want to talk to pops, I want to talk to mom, yeah. right? So we got these kids, right? We got these kids uh, in OKCPS, for example, where I run my program, that they will make comments to me, hey, uh, I can't talk about this, Mr. Lawson. Uh, can I talk to you about it? Yeah. Right? So I thought, okay, well, what's, what's your family dynamics? And they'll tell me. Uh, so what I found out as a as a whole is that when they see black love, right, when they see a male and a female truly loving each other and exemplifying that, that that model, A, helps self-esteem, confidence, Right. My perspective of where I can go in the future, my capacity to get my potential, all that stuff that we we want our kids to grow up to be. Uh, I think the model since it's black love next week, February 14th, I think that that the black couple has way more power than we even conceive. Right. I think it's way more powerful than we even think about because it's a generational thing. Right. Again. Here we go. I just got lucky. My parents were married for 48 years before my dad passed away. And look at me. I'm almost halfway there, right? So it's a generational deal that, okay, I see how my parents did it. I see the benefits of it. And I'm not talking about just being married. I'm talking about, again, two parents working on one accord, right? For kids, they don't have to be married. But marriage is cool, but I'm not knocking those who are not married is what I'm saying. If you have two parents who are one accord for that child, it matters. Here's what it is. I took a survey out of 175 kids uh, that I mentor. I just asked a simple question. Uh, what does your home life look like? Two parents, one parent, mom or dad. Check the box. Mm -hmm. Here's what I find out. All the females, 90% of the females had both mom and dad. 85% of the males only had a mom. Right. So I thought mm. the missing piece for the young man was the male figure. Right. Was the dad was the father. Right. And I found out because of these statistics that the females were more confident. Right. They had more swagger. They can answer questions more easily. And I thought, well, what, why are they able to project this um, better self persona than the boys until I figured out I did that survey. I thought, Oh, okay. They got the strong mom and the dad in the house. Right. And they're pumping into the kids. So black love, Jackie, my Hey, it matters. It definitely it does. Matters. That is very interesting. I would love to see, <laughs> I would love to see those numbers. Um, yeah, I think, um, in Oklahoma, even, um, the black love relates to voting still because, if you have now, let me say voter suppression, not even just uh, voter suppression, disenfranchisement through incarceration. There's so many black men oh, that absolutely. can't vote. Um, and, but we're also number one for uh, women's incarceration as well. But anyways, my point is that um, so if the male is incarcerated and 
the woman is raising the child by herself, then of course she's got to deal with everyday things and she's not going to prioritize voting. So I've definitely thought about that on that level as well. Um, So, but in Oklahoma, one thing that does bother me is our domestic violence rate. And if you don't know, we are number one in domestic violence out of all 50 states right now. Wow. And so I would Mm. like um, both of your opinions on this. So, From my opinion, I think that um, black men, um, they do feel oppressed. And even that's relating to what you're saying right now, as far as their self-esteem and self-actualization goes, they feel more oppressed. So then when they do find a woman, they tend to latch on to her and try to make themselves everything to her because they already don't matter to the world. So I'm going to matter to you. And then when there's a possibility of a breakup, that's when it goes toxic. Mm. And okay, no, you're not going to leave me. But again, I have not done any studies over that. I've not read any studies over that. That's just me speaking from experience because I have been in um, abusive relationships. Um, and then just from other things that I see, because when you're in uh, a, a, a toxic situation, then you are, you know, birds of a fle- feather flock together, so forth. Mm-hmm. So you see other people. So um, how, I want your opinion on that. And then how do we combat and try to get our numbers down? Because even within us being number one in domestic violence, the when you factor race into that, it's even more horrible for black women. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, um, I actually, that's the first time I've I've heard that. So I did not know that. And it's a shock to me um, because I didn't know. And um, I have not been in that situation and I have not actually been around that situation, thankfully. But... Um, I have a friend that has been in the situation. I have a couple of friends that have been in the situation. So um, to hear the stories that they've gone through and um, the thing, the situations that they've gone through, it's kind of heartbreaking for me. Um, how, how did they improve their situation? I'm they, assuming here they've they're removed not themselves completely. Uh, yeah, they've removed themselves completely from the situation. Thank goodness. Um, I actually don't think one of them would be here if they wouldn't have. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a daunting thing. It's kind of, it's, it hits you kind of hard, especially if it's somebody that's close to you that's been there and they've been through the situation themselves. And if, uh, it, especially if it's yourself that's going through the situation, but, um. Have they ever spoken to you about the want or the need to stay in the relationship? Um, yes, actually. Um, the fear. Their fear of leaving, their fear of um, maybe not coming home again because of the person that they were with mm-hmm. and the situation that they were in. So, were just out of curiosity, were they were they black? <laughs> were they with black men? Uh, no. no, no, it was a Hispanic man. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean. The brown numbers are up there, unfortunately. Um, So, but yeah, how do, I mean, as a black man, how do you encourage others? uh, uh, And when I say others, I mean other black men to lead more responsible families. (laughs) That is a behemoth of a question. You know, that's a, a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of factors go into that. 
uh, childhood structure is a part of that, that mechanism. Um, I, I have grown to find out some of my friends who have made have struggled as men, right? I zero down that their childhood has some trauma, right? Has some trauma in their childhood and they never addressed it. That was the issue. Mm-hmm. They never got seeking help to address the issue. So what do we do? We bottle it up. I get with y'all. Y'all my new girlfriend. And then I take it out on y'all because I'm frustrated, right? I don't know how to manage my trauma. So I would think right off the bat, and my mind think we got to figure out how what this trauma looks like and then provide some resources and some services uh, to get these guys in. And we, I'm a man, so I know how men work. And we're stubborn. And sometimes we're not transparent, right? I ain't got no problem. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Hey, it's you. You got the problems, <laughs> right? So you know we bottle that up, man. And I think if we could, if we could provide maybe a platform or a uh, uh, a event or a seminar or a safe space for these guys to come in and look like you and provide people who have the service that look like them and open that up, right? And say, hey, man, we're here today. We're gonna be transparent, right? We all in the same predicament. Let's talk about how to get better. I haven't seen that before yet in this community. I haven't seen any, any of that type of mental health slash trauma assistance. You just gave me another idea. Yeah, I was just about to say, let's do that. Let's get that popping. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> get it cracking. Light bulb, right? Uh, but it, when you talk about that, you you talk about it, it affects everybody. That man has power. So when our kids, God forbid, may see the dude doing something to the woman, that affects the child. Right, so that's a generational deal, and then what we find out is that as a, as a, when young women grow up, they get into com- combative relationships. Right, it's that snowball effect, um, and that's that's just that's just the way it has been, in my experience, watching our community over the past you know thirty years or whatever. And um, I think you know going forward. The solution is just what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would love to to tap in on that. But I will say um, from my experience, um, I think one thing that definitely would need to be addressed at this seminar is how religion affects domestic violence, because I don't think anybody taps into that as well. It's a huge component. Yes, it's the the matter of if you you, you have to forgive him as what is it like God forgave the church or Jesus forgave the church and you're supposed to give 77 times 77 seven times and all you know what I'm saying in which we have to the key word that I tell my kids is discernment you got to discern when it's okay to forgive somebody and when it's not Mm -hmm. because then you end up in a situation where somebody didn't knock your head off and oh it's okay Mm -hmm. let me still I'm gonna love you anyways and I'm not a good woman if I don't stay married or oh if I get divorced and I'm not a good woman and I can't quote unquote keep a man Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying if he's not worth keeping please don't keep him you know Mm Um, and then we get stereotyped for being the single woman. So, yeah, there's a lot of potential with that going there. So, but we are out of time. <laughs> and I definitely love to have you back again, Mr. Lawson. Um, on an ending note, I will say that February 14th is the city council elections. Go out and vote for your city council members. Um, March the 7th is the next election after that. That's where we are going to vote to either legalize or keep illegal so happy valentine's day y'all bye tushalicious talk is part of the breaking ice building bridges community podcast platform brought to you by possibilities inc